If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of Jonah in a series I called God's Call to Revival. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. We are in Jonah chapter 2 this morning. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Jonah chapter 2. I told my daughter, Laura, I said, all the songs which you sang in worship could be the whole story of Jonah. I mean, it's great songs this morning. It's just really uh, awesome. God's so good. So Jonah chapter 2, we last left Jonah in a tight spot. He was surrounded by seaweed and in the belly of a great fish. And so, let's pick it up in Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we read, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah Onto dry land. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study this great book, Lord. And we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from this, Lord God. And we pray that as a church, we would have open ears to receive all that you have for us this morning. That we would find not only information, but application to to take home with us, Lord. To allow it to change our lives and draw us closer into our relationship with you. We pray, Father, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to come into a saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray that they would see their need for Him today, Lord. They would turn from their sin and turn towards you today. We thank you for this time, Lord. We give you all the glory and honor praise for it. We ask that you would continue to anoint it, for it's in your Son, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. Well, when it comes to the title of my study this morning, I had a hard time deciding what to call it. I had so many options. I thought we'd call it praying when you're down in the mouth. How about a well of a prayer? Fishing for forgiveness? I I don't know. How about this one? When bad decisions eat up your profits. Profits, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. How about all's well that ends well? Instead, we're just going to call it Sweet Surrender. Because we know Jonah chapter 1, he was running from God. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah finally surrenders and runs to God. If we're taking notes this morning, we're going to see three things. Number one, Jonah's problem. And we'll go review chapter 1 with that. Number two, Jonah's prayer. And number three, Jonah's purpose. Let's start off with Jonah's problem. Number one. If we recall last week, Jonah had 
God rather called Jonah to go to Nineveh and, re- and preach repentance to Nineveh. God said go. Jonah said no. And here's the reason why Jonah said no. Nineveh was a notoriously wicked city known for their barbaric deeds, their uh, the torturous things that they would do to people. And on top of all of that, they were sworn enemies of the Israelites. And guess what Jonah was? An Israelite. So when God said to Jonah, go preach to Nineveh, he didn't want to go preach to them. Because he knew if they didn't repent, then they would be judged. And Jonah liked the sound of that. Perhaps he thought, that's one less enemy that we have to deal with. But if I preach to them and I know the Lord, I know his tendency to forgive people, and I really don't want him to forgive those people. I don't like those people. I don't want him to give Nineveh another chance. Even though God is a God of second chances. Jonah said, no, I'm not going. In fact, Jonah got up and went the other way. And instead of going 500 miles northeast to Nineveh, Jonah attempts to go 2,000 miles to the west uh, to a place called Tarshish. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. We read there that Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. Jonah's problem was now he was in sin. Flat out sin. God called him to be a prophet. God called him to preach repentance to Nineveh, and Jonah flat out disobeyed God. I want to tell you something about sin. I've shared this before. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. Sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will always cost you more than you intended to pay. You know, there's advertisers out there, and and they market their products by, by saying, buy now and pay later. Get this new sofa, you know, no payment for a whole year. Until that year's up. <laughs> you know, we love that. Oh, I man, that sounds great because we think we're getting something for free. But payday is going to come with interest. And so the devil says, play now. You're not going to have to pay. No, sin will always cost something. Adam's sin cost him paradise. David's sin cost him his, his, his family and his reputation. Samson's sin ultimately cost him his life. God warns us repeatedly in the pages of Scripture that our sin will find us out. Jonah paid the fare and would soon pay the price for his sin. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1 now. It says there, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. I love the first words of that verse. But the Lord. But the Lord. Know this. God will always have the last word. No matter what you do, there's always going to be, but the Lord. The Lord was pursuing Jonah. The Lord was not going to let Jonah get away with his sin. And why is that? Well, because if you're a child of God, then the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, the Lord chastens, the Lord disciplines. And because God loves us, He wants to get our attention when we're going the wrong way. I think we all know what that's like in our lives when you're about to do something that you know that it's something that you shouldn't be doing. And 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 there's that check inside of you, that sense of conviction from the Holy Spirit that's saying, don't do this, don't go down that path, this is the wrong direction. And sometimes God will even put blockades in your path in a... In a uh, in a way where you're about to do something you shouldn't do and suddenly maybe, uh, you know, you run into a Christian brother, a Christian friend or sister and who happens, you know, to see you and, and you're going, oh, you know, why are you here, you know? Well, the Lord is making it hard on you. 
And you may say that, Lord, you're making it hard on me. And he says, you're absolutely right, because I love you and I don't want you to, 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 to make this huge mistake. I don't want you to go in the wrong direction. So he tries to stop us and warn us through his Holy Spirit. Sometimes he's got to use affliction. David put it this way in Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. In other words, before you disciplined me, I was doing what I wanted. But now that you've got my attention, Lord, I'm going to keep your word. I think David, I mean, he certainly knew something about what it was to sin and have to face the consequences. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, you know, and then attempted to cover it up by murdering her husband. David went for an entire year without confessing that to God. Can you imagine how miserable he was? If you want to know, just, just look at, at, at Psalm 32. Living a whole year of unconfessed sin. David finally confessed it when Nathan the prophet nailed him on it, you know, and said, what are you doing? But here's my point. Sometimes when we disobey the Lord, we will not taste the results of it immediately. It won't come right away. But other times it will come just like that. And that's how it was with Jonah. Immediately the Lord began to deal with him. And one more thing about Jonah's problem. We read in his disobedience that he found a ship. In other words, this, this ship just happened to be there happened to be going in the opposite direction, just happened to be going to Tarshish. Now, we need to understand something, folks. God is not the only one that can open up doors. Satan opens doors of disobedience all the time to us. He's skilled at it. He's he skilled at manipulating circumstances and making you think that it's of the Lord, but it's ultimately leading you in the wrong direction. Just because circumstances seem to be lining up doesn't always mean it's from the Lord. I've had people come up to me and say, well, you know, uh, I, I was praying and the other day and suddenly the Lord brought this person into my life. It's wonderful. She or, or he is the one for me. I just know it. And I'll ask, well, well how do you know? Are they a Christian? No, but, but the Lord brought him or her to me. Well, wait a second. How do you know the Lord brought, brought them to you? Well, I was walking in the Starbucks and, and as I was walking in, this guy was walking out and the wind caught the door and, and we fell into each other's arms. And, and so I'm sure it's of the Lord. Really, did you ever think that the devil might have brought him or her along to lead you in the wrong way? Listen, God speaks to us primarily through His Word. And when it comes to the decisions and knowing the Lord's direction, there are certain things that I know are not of the Lord right off the bat. I don't even need to, need to pray about it because I know what the Word says. You don't, you, know, you don't need to come to me and say, Tom, would you pray with me? I'm thinking about murdering someone. <laughs> no, because God says you should not murder well, Tom, will you pray with me? I'm thinking about leaving my wife and having an affair. No, because the Bible says you should not commit adultery. Well, Tom, will you pray that God will help me in this business deal? I'm, I'm, I'm lying to a bunch of people, but I stand to make a whole lot of money, and I'll tie 20% to the church. You bet. Let's pray. No, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a joke, okay? <laughs> That's lying and stealing, and that also is wrong, and a sin. And the Bible says you shall not steal, you should not lie. We don't need to pray about it. But some people, you know, that they get all mystical about it. Oh, the Lord is speaking, and I, and I was holding this pen in my hand, and I asked the Lord if I should date this man, and my hand wrote the word, yes, my child. No, you wrote the words, wacko, okay, you know. But people will do it anyway. Even if it contradicts Scripture because they're relying on circumstances 
and their desires and their own feelings. We need to be careful. I'm not saying that God can't work through circumstances. He can and He does. But Satan also can manipulate circumstances and our hearts can lie to us. Both are deceitfully wicked, the Bible says. So the devil was none too busy to make sure that there was a ship ready for Jonah to to head in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Now we all know what happens next. God sends this storm. The crew begins to pray to all the different gods that they believed in and and had, but the storm got even bigger. And it was, it was getting fiercer by the moment. So the captain thinks, well, there must be somebody on board that's responsible for this. The gods are angry at us. And so the crew suddenly remembers there's this guy named Jonah downstairs, sound asleep below deck. So they tell him, hey, wake up, you know. They tell him, pray to his God. As we pointed out last week, I don't think he did. Why? Because he knew he was in sin. He knew he wasn't doing what God has called him to do. And you're not going to want to pray when you know you're in sin, even though that's the first thing you should be doing. So I picture, you know, Jonah rolling back over, trying to go back to sleep, but the Lord would not allow it. And the crew cast lots, and it's probably something like drawing straws, yet even in that, the Lord's hand was on it, and led them to realize that Jonah was to blame for this storm. So they come to him, and they ask him these questions, like, 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 why are you doing this? Obviously, you serve the most powerful God we've ever seen, a God that is very interested in what you're doing. Why would you do this? And isn't that an interesting question? You have a non-believer crew coming to a believer in the one and true God, asking him why you're acting that way. I think sometimes that non-believers have a better understanding of what Christians should be doing than what some Christians do. And by that I mean that non-believers, they think that Christians should be honest. They think Christians should be caring. They think that Christians should be people that live by certain standards, and they should. But when non-believers seeing supposed Christians acting in a way that's contrary to their understanding of Christianity, it becomes a stumbling block before their eyes. And it could even hinder them becoming believers themselves based on what they see in your life. How important it is that our, that our walk matches our talk. Well, once Jonah was caught, they knew it was him. Jonah says, well, here's the problem. I'm a Hebrew. I serve the Lord God. And this storm is all because of me. So they knew that, but they, they still were trying to row to the, to the land. Jonah says, you're not going to make it. Here's what you need to do. You need to throw me overboard. They said, no, Jonah, we're not, we're not going to throw you overboard. We want to save you. Guys, you need to throw me overboard. The storm gets worse. Okay, pitch him. He's gone. Okay, he's gone. The storm stops immediately. The crew gets saved, not only physically, but spiritually. They make a vow to the one and only true God. Amazing thing how God used Jonah in spite of himself. Now, as for Jonah, well, he's got a problem. Why? Because he's still on the run from God. He's still not turning to God. And he's going from bad to worse. Look now at verse 17 of chapter 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is where we left off last week. Basically we see Jonah got an all-expense all-expense-paid trip to Nineveh through this great fish. We'll see that. What a cruise. Can you imagine a, a, a brochure for a cruise like that? Join us on Jonah Cruise Lines. You know, enjoy our large, spacious rooms, guaranteed warm water. Listen to the waves lapping around you. And talk about food. Man, all the seafood you can eat, plenty of seaweed for those special do-it-yourself sushi wraps. You know, I've shared a few weeks back, my wife and I, were, we were on a cruise and uh, our, my in-laws 
took us on and, and we were on a balcony suite or room looking over the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Hawaii. It was beautiful. But one evening, it was dark, the moon was shining bright. I was thinking of Jonah's story. And I thought, you know, that's kind of scary. I mean, the, the, the sea looked really dark and I thought, can't you imagine some, some fish the size of a city bus swimming up out of the water and swallowing someone whole? But man, frightening. I couldn't imagine what Jonah was going through. Now there are those who say, well, there's no way, this can't be true, there's no way a whale could swallow a man whole. Well, look at verse 17, it doesn't say whale, it says a great fish. And that's in both the Greek and the Hebrew versions of the story of Jonah uh, as, as well. It's the Greek word ketos, which means a great or large aquatic animal. This could mean a whale, it could mean a shark, it could mean a, a sea monster, it could even mean a sea creature specifically created by God to serve his purpose. Now you may think, well, come on, could, could Jonah actually have been swallowed by a great fish or well and survived? Is that possible? Now I believe it's possible because the Bible said it did. So I believe the Bible, it happened. But this might help you. The Encyclopedia Britannica points out that the average sperm whale, for instance, has a mouth that is 20 feet long. So from its head going all the way back is 20 feet. It's 15 feet high when it opens it, it's nine feet wide. I mean, that, that's larger than the most rooms you have in your house. Here's a picture of a sperm whale next to a diver. Look at the size of that. That's huge. And the structure of a sperm whale, uh, along with its habits, would allow for a man to be swallowed alive and after an interval of some time to be vomited again, allowing him to remain two or three days alive within that well. We know that inside the stomach of the wells, it's very hot. They're 105 to 108 degrees. But that's not proof. Then there's a whale shark. The whale shark is a slow-moving feeder shark. So when it goes through the water, its mouth is wide open, and it's one of the largest known uh, existing fish species of that kind. The whale shark is reportedly capable of reaching a maximum length of about 59 feet. Most specimens that have been studied, however, weighed about 15 tons and average about 39 feet in length. Here's a picture of one. Oh, okay. Here's the actual picture of one. You see, they're filter feeding sharks, so their mouths stay open to feed. Very easily to fit a man. Now, if you still have a hard time believing this, let me give you one more. It's a story from the late 1800s of a man named James Bartley who claimed to have, have been, uh, claimed to have been a, a whale man aboard a British whale ship, the, the Star of, of the East. The ship was hunting whales off the South America in 1891. They spotted a sperm whale. Two whale boats went out to catch the whale. One boat was wrecked by the whale. The other, one seller drowned, and another seller, Bartley, was lost and could not be found. The second boat then killed the whale and towed it to the ship. The next day, when the, the stomach of the whale was brought up on the deck and cut open, Bartley was found inside of the stomach of the whale. A bit worse for wear, it was said that his hair was gone and his face and hands were bleached like parchment. According to, this, to the story, Bartley re, uh, eventually made a full recovery, although he retained a strange color on his skin and became somewhat of a local celebrity around England. His story was printed uh, in popular accounts in newspapers at the time and showed up quite often as a tale of a modern Jonah. Now there are those that question that story, you know, and says it was, well, it was made up. And it might have been. But here's the point. Jonah's story was not. Because here's the thing that we need to consider, and that is this. In order to believe in Jesus, you have to believe 
the story of Jonah. You have to believe in the story of Jonah if you say you believe in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said it was true. Matthew 12, verse 39 through 41, look at what Jesus said. He said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying, I will die on the cross. Three days later, I'll rise again from the dead. Just as I will do that, just as Jonah did that uh, as well. See, Jonah's Jonah's story is an historical fact because Jesus said it was. So either he's lying or he knows exactly what happened and what he's talking about. So if you believe in Jesus, you must believe that Jonah could be swallowed by a great fish and live through it. Now understand this. God is in control of the animal kingdom. He can get animals to do what he wants as he pleases, you know, and he cares about animals. I mean, he, he was angry with Balaam when Balaam beat his donkey. He cares about the sparrow that falls to the ground. And when necessary, he uses animals to accomplish his purposes. A pre-selected donkey carried Christ into Jerusalem. Another donkey spoke and rebuked the prophet Balaam. Ravens hand-delivered food to the prophet Elijah. I think the bears that came out and attacked kings who were mocking the baldness of Elisha. Pastor Greg Glory tells this story about an article he read on how a school of porpoises saved a man's life. The man fell off his boat and the porpoises helped him to a buoy. Then they circled up until help came. He says, I guess you could say they drove him to the buoy. Then he says, the man ended up writing a book and he called it The Porpoise-Driven Life. I don't know. Okay, that was his joke. It wasn't mine, okay? But I like it, you know. But here's the problem. So many people want to make the story of Jonah all about the great fish when they fail to see it's all about the great God. That's all about our great God. It's not about a whale or a great fish. It's about God working in one man's life to save a nation. Jonah was in rebellion to God and getting swallowed by a great fish was disciplined from God. God loved Jonah so much and wanted to speak to his heart. And the only way Jonah would listen would be to put him in a place where he had to be still and listen. Sometimes God does that in our lives as well. He forces us to be in that place where we have, have to be still. You know, maybe it's an illness or something and you're, you're flat on your back. Maybe you hurt something and you can't do anything. You know, you got to just sit and be still. Jonah would learn what the psalmist knew about God in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that, I, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Well, this brings us to our next point. Point number two, Jonah prayed. Look at verse one of chapter two. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. <laughs> it's about time. Remember, three days and three nights have already gone by. Now notice where Jonah prayed, from the fish's belly. You know, that's good news because that tells us you can pray anywhere. You know, preferably not from the fish's belly, but you can pray anywhere. Daniel prayed in the lion's den. Paul and Silas prayed in prison. Joseph prayed in the pit. Elijah prayed in a cave. Jonah is praying inside the stomach of a well or or some great fish. Wherever you are, you can pray. Know that God will will hear your prayer, you know. The only, only... thing that prevents God from hearing your prayer is if you have sin in your life. You know, it's not, it's not the, the location, it's the distance, it's sin. 
Rather, it's not the distance, it's sin. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, I've shared this before. It says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So if you're living in sin and continual living in sin, you, I shared this last week, you can't expect God to, to answer your prayers. It's a barrier of sin. But yet God can and He's willing to forgive and pardon if we turn to Him. If we confess to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, the belly of this great fish became Jonah's prayer closet. Now, what I've said before, it's amazing that it took three days for Jonah to decide to cry out to the Lord. That's stubbornness. I mean, think about this. He's wrapped in seaweed. Fish are probably smacking him in the face. Temperatures raising in the upward 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Massive humidity. And Jonah says the first day, I'm not praying. Nineveh needs to be judged. Another day goes by. I'm not going to Nineveh. Not going to do it. Another day goes by. I hate fish. I stink. I'm hot. I'm hating my life. Finally, the third day, Lord, get me out of here. I'll do whatever you ask. It's amazing. Jonah didn't cry out in the storm. He didn't cry out when the captain said arise or when the lot fell on him or even when they threw him overboard. Three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, then he prayed. It took that long for God to get through to him, you know, for, for, for Jonah to see where he was at. See, God was wanting and waiting for Jonah's uh, life to be surrendered to him all along. And here's the thing. It's at our greatest weakness and helplessness that we finally realize our need for God the most. Let me say that again. It's at our greatest weakness and helplessness that we finally realize our need for God the most. To get to the point where we surrender and say, Lord, I know that you know what's best for my life, so I'm going to quit running from you. I'm going to run to you. I surrender my will, my life to you. I repent and I will do what you've called me to do. Jonah was stubborn, but he finally gave in. Maybe you're in a pit this morning right now of your own making. Maybe you're in a set of circumstances that you brought upon yourself and you're feeling guilty and you're feeling condemned. You're saying, God will never hear me. I don't even know why I'm at church right now. Listen, the church is not a museum for saints. I've said this before. It's a hospital for sinners. You've come to the right place to get right with God and to cry out to Him. That's what Jonah does right here. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, And I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Out of His affliction He cried. You know, affliction has a way of drawing us close to the Lord, doesn't it? Often it's the sole purpose of affliction. Because when things are going good, you know, when all's going well, it's like we don't need God, we don't need to pray, we don't need to be in fellowship or in church. And we think that we're somehow we're doing fine on our own. So what does God do? He allows some affliction, some trial to come into our lives to drive us back to Himself. Because God loves us. And He wants us to be in fellowship with Him. He wants us to be close to Him, in communion with Him. And He knows that that's how we function best. So then when we move away from that place, at times God will allow affliction to come into our lives to drive us back to Him. To get us to our senses so that we realize that, that, that life can be hell Without Him. Because God knows there's a real place where people will end up who have said, God, I don't want your will. I don't want anything to do with you. Be careful. Because if you keep saying that, God will give you exactly what you want. See, that's why you can never say that God sends anyone to hell. You send yourself there. Because a person who rejects Jesus Christ is rejecting the God who sent His Son to die for their sins. 
They're rejecting the only way to save them from their sins and to save them from a place of eternal suffering. This place called hell. Now with Jonah, God gave Jonah a taste of what hell may just be like. And he describes it quite well in these verses. In verse 2 he says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Sheol means underworld. It means grave. It means hell. It means pit. Jonah recognized, man, I'm in, I'm in the pits. You know, in a lot of ways, the belly of this great fish had some of the same distinctions of hell. Hell is really hot, but you don't burn up. The belly of a well, 105, 108 degrees, hot and humid with the smell of stinking, rotting fish. No doubt hell stinks of, of burning sulfur, rotten eggs. But for Jonah, or for those who will spend eternity, hell is nothing compared to what he says. Look in verses 3 and 4. He says in verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and all your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. person that rejects Jesus Christ, eventually they're going to be cast out. But worst of all, this, this really describes the worst part about hell. Jonah describes himself as being cast out of God's presence. I've been cast out of your sight. That's the worst part about hell. You know, being separated from God for all eternity. He goes on, look at verses 4 and 5. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I mean, he's being hard-pressed from every side. The deep closed around me. He's got seaweed wrapped all around his head. I mean, the description being hard-pressed, it's a picture of hell as well. A place of outer darkness. I mean, I'm sure he couldn't see a thing and he just feels it pressing in on him. You're closed in. Continues to go down. Look at verse 8. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. I read something interesting that, that wells are deep divers commonly reaching depths of about 1,150 feet. They've been found tangled in cables more than 3,000 feet below the surface. I read that they often go down there because that's where the large squid are. They like to eat these, these huge squid. So Jonah says he went down. But he's describing a situation where there's no way out. Really, the result of a life that is spent in rebellion towards God. One who lives their whole life saying, I don't want you, God. In the end, God gives them what they've wanted. Complete separation for him in a hot, stinky, dark, painful place for eternity. Listen, if you really want to get a sense of how horrible this was, let me give you a, a, a way to do this. This how for Jonah. Get yourself a refrigerator box and crawl into it. Have a friend or a foe, fill it with seaweed, figure out a way to heat that, that box to at least 98 to 100 degrees, fill it with rotten eggs, close it up so you can't see a thing, place a boom box speaker close to it to blast the sounds of waves and, and, and water, and then finally have some... some uh, a same friend or foe splash a mixture of water, muriatic acid into your face and then knock you down and back up again and down. I mean, that's miserable. A living hell. Now, I'm not trying to make light of this. I just want us to understand the fact that people around us are going to hell. And it should motivate us to get serious about sharing our faith. But more importantly, if we're not right with God, we need to get right with Him. See, God was using this in Jonah's life as a wake-up call for him. Again, in verse 4, Jonah cried out, I've been cast out of your sight. And maybe you've felt that way. I've gone too far. I've sinned too much. I've been cast out forever. The answer is no, you've not. Because God is a God of second chances and third chances. 
In fact, the last part of verse 6 and verse 7 shows us that. Jonah says, Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God, in verse 6. Lord, you've saved me. You've given me another chance. Verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. My prayer, went, I remembered, I repented. My prayer reached you. Your Lord, you answered my prayer. God heard his prayer. Then verse 2 said, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. I like that. Again, what's amazing to me is that it took three days for Jonah to cry out. I mean, what a hard heart. But what is great to see that when Jonah remembered the Lord, he cried out, and the Lord answered him. Notice it doesn't say in verse 2, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried out, and God said, Oh, now you want some help. Oh, now you want something from me. You know, that you fully disobeyed me. You ran away. You, already, you got another thing coming, buddy. You're going to be in that, sh- that belly of that fish for a long time. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. There you're going to go. Now, we may act that way, but God doesn't. The Bible says in Psalm 51:17 that a broken and a contrite heart, those, these God, will, you will not despise. Jonah was broken. He repented. He had a contrite heart. He says, my prayer went up to you in your holy temple, and you heard my prayer. And then Jonah finishes his prayer. Look at verse 8. He contrasts God's mercy uh, with those that, who lean on other gods. He says in verse 8, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. In other words, you trust other gods to save you, you have no chance of being saved. And those that don't know the Lord, they'll often turn to the false gods to comfort them in their times of trouble, maybe in their times of affliction. Oh, they'll turn to drugs. Oh, oh they'll turn to alcohol. Oh, you know, man, my life is not going, going well. I just, I just need to get drunk. I need, I need to drink or, or I need this drug. <clears throat> Jonah's saying, you're never going to get the mercy of God turned into those things. You're never going to get what God promises. God, God, God promises mercy. People forsake the mercy of God that, they, that wants to show them when they turn to these idols instead of the Lord. They're forsaking the mercy that's available to them through the Lord. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 tells us, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fell not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, you can't exhaust God's mercy, but you've got to turn to Him for it. And it doesn't mean just because you have mercy you can keep on sinning because God's grace abounds. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, God forbid, how can we who are dead to sin uh, live any longer therein? Because sooner or later the mercy of God needs to lead us to that place of change. The mercy of God needs us to that place of commitment to Him. A place of complete surrender to Him when we say, God, you know what is best for my life. I need to obey you. Jonah finally came to that place in his life. And that brings us to our final point and we'll close with this number Three, Jonah's purpose. Look at verse 9. Jonah says, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah learned from his head to his heart that salvation is of the Lord. If God wants to save the people of Nineveh, then, then it's of the Lord. And I need to let it be of the Lord. I need to do the work that God's called me to do. Jonah learned, as I said, from his head to his heart, salvation is the Lord. Now Spurgeon said this, if salvation is of the Lord, then damnation is of man. If you are damned, you have no one to blame but yourself. If you perish, the blame will not lie at God's door. If you are lost and cast away, you will forever lie in hell and reflect, I made a suicide of my soul. I can lay no blame on God. See, there's a choice. God offers forgiveness. God offers salvation to all. 
But if you refuse it, you have no one to blame but yourself. But the good news is if you cry out to God, God will answer. Here, Jonah learned that. Jonah had vowed to be the Lord's prophet. He was called by God to be his prophet, to do his will and to speak in his name. He was running from that. He was being disobedient from the call and the purpose God had for his life. But now he comes back. Listen, we've made a similar vow when we committed our life to Jesus Christ to forsake the world and follow Christ. And there may be times when you have run from the Lord or have not listened to the Lord and now you're involved again with the things of this world. Listen, it's not too late. Jonah says, I will pay what I have vowed. That's another way of, uh, of saying, I remember where I've fallen. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. The Bible tells us, remember from where you have fallen. Now, you may not be in a well's belly, but may, you may be in a difficult situation that you brought upon yourself and it may seem to you like there's no way out. And you say, well, it's hopeless. No, it's not. But there's a condition. If you want God to be merciful to you, then you, like Jonah, have got to take personal responsibility for your sin. Let me read Psalm fifty-one, seventeen, and it's an entirety. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, are broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Understand, that's what God is waiting for in our lives. See, the moment Jonah prays, God says, Okay, trial's over. Look at verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I love that. You know, the Bible doesn't try to, and it spewed him out. Under, no, it, it vomited. It did puke. I mean, you know, the well had the urge to regurge. It's reverse sushi. I'm sure this great fish was more than happy to rid itself of this indigestible lump in his stomach. Get this guy out of here. Jonah's deposited on the beach. Now, we'll look at next week the reaction of this bleached out, stinky prophet and the people of Nineveh. But here's something I want you to consider. Maybe you feel trapped going nowhere. Maybe nothing seems to be working out. Nothing is making sense. Take heart, for even when we think nothing is working out, God has promised that all things will work out together for good to those that are called, to those that, 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 that love Him according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. See, while Jonah felt forsaken and forgotten, blinded and in the dark, for three days and three nights when he thought his life was going nowhere, guess what? That fish was still moving. It was still moving. Where was it going? It was swimming from somewhere out in the middle of the Mediterranean off the coast of Spain back to the place where God had wanted Jonah to go all along. Jonah didn't have a clue that anything was happening until suddenly he's on the beach in Nineveh. Listen, the same thing is true for you and for me. If you call out to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you, you will find that eventually you'll be right where you're supposed to be. That, that through the days and nights when you thought nothing was happening, unbeknownst to you, that fish was moving. God wanted to bring revival to Nineveh. But before he could bring it to Nineveh, he had to bring it to Jonah first. Jonah's purpose was to be a mouthpiece for God to point people to the Lord. But if he was not completely surrendered himself to the Lord, how could he call others to, sur to surrender, to repent? Because you see, before revival can happen in other people, it has to happen to us. It has to start with us. If we want to see revival in our community, in our town, and, and it begins with us. You know, if you want to raise your children in the way of the Lord, you make sure you do your Bible study, you know, for them. You, you, you preach many sermons, but they're going to watch to see if you're living out what you're preaching. Now, some things are caught, other things are taught. 
If you want to tell people at work about Jesus Christ, then you need to make sure you're a model of what it like it is to follow Jesus Christ. See, God is working in Jonah so that he could work through Jonah. And God is working in us so he can work through us to reach people. But it begins with surrender. It starts with you and me surrendering every area of our lives over to Jesus Christ. And if you're holding back this morning, Christian, some areas in your life, it's time to surrender and say, God, I'm turning everything over to you. And remember the Lord's, uh, remember the Lord, cry out to him and he will abundantly pardon. Now as we close, maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, if you will call out to God, he will hear you. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you feel trapped like Jonah, wrapped in sin. It's time to be set free. Jesus said, he whom the Son sets free uh, shall be free indeed. Because only God can forgive you of your sin. Only God can, can give you the hope of heaven. Only Jesus Christ can set you free from the chains of sin. That's why he went to the cross for you and died for you. He died to set men free. Now, what would stop you from opening the door of your life and saying, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Lord, give me that hope of heaven. Take my guilt away. See, He'll do that for you, but you must be sorry for your sin. You must turn from it. You must ask Him to come in it by faith. If that's your desire, I want to give you that opportunity right now before we close. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word this morning. Lord, we see this reluctant prophet running away from You, Lord. Not doing what You've called him to do. Finding himself in a place of affliction and pain and suffering, Lord. But you reminded him, Lord, that you're there for him. That you're a God of second chances. Lord, and he finally came to the end of himself. He surrendered to you. And you, Lord, you restored him. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, if there's any here, Lord, that they've never come to know you. Lord, perhaps they're living in their sins still, Lord. And you've been trying to get their attention and trying to touch their heart. Lord, they're not turned from you. But now, Lord, you've spoke to them this morning. I pray, Father, that they would have the faith, that you'd give them the faith to make a stand for you this morning, to, to, to turn their life to you this morning. While their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to surrender your life to him. You want to be born again. You want your sin forgiven. You want to know that if you were to die today, you would not go to hell, but you would go to heaven a place of of eternity with the Lord Jesus. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Just raise it up so I can see it. This is a prayer of you wanting to give your life to Jesus Christ, to have your sin forgiven, to be born again. Just raise it up so I can see it. Maybe you're here this morning and at one time you've, you've committed your life to the Lord, but you've fallen away. You've not been living like you should. And God's been trying to get your attention. And this message spoke to your heart through the Holy Spirit. And He's got your attention. You want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ this morning. You want to surrender afresh your life to Him. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning so I could pray for you? Anybody at all? We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you again for this uh, Example, Lord, we have of this man, Jonah, Lord, who you loved and you used mightily in his life. I pray, Lord, that for each one of us, Lord, that we would be open to how you'd want to use us. Lord, that we would be sensitive to your spirit this week. Give us opportunities to share the hope that we have. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thanks, Lord, for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Well, let's all stand.